Good morning. It is Thursday, the 26th day of the first month, January, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm J.D. Walt, and this is your wake-up call. Let us enter in today with a prayer of consecration. Let's locate ourselves before the Lord and orient our inmost beings to him. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus, I belong to you. I lift up my heart to you. I set my mind on you. I fix my eyes on you. I offer my body as a living sacrifice to you. Jesus, we belong to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Today's entry is entitled, Jesus Doesn't help the poor. He is the poor. Our scripture text is Luke 4th chapter verses 31 and 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his words had authority. That's the word of the Lord. Now, consider this. One of the great epiphanies or revelations in the life of Jesus, hiding in plain sight, is the where of his work. The Son of God comes to the stage of the world he created, and he spends most of his time in small fishing villages in a rural part of an otherwise fairly obscure country that is about the size of the state of New Jersey. All in, probably around 1,500 people lived in Capernaum. Contrast that to Jerusalem, whose population was likely around 30,000 at the time. Contrast that to Rome, whose population in those days likely exceeded one million people. In the world's eyes, and if I'm honest, in my own eyes, Jesus wasn't very strategic. The point I'm making is population or perceived importance. Prestige or status is irrelevant in God's kingdom. We live in a cross-shaped kingdom which upends conventional wisdom and reverses the value system. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 
All this to say, no matter where you are or are not, and no matter who you are or are not, if you are following Jesus today, the kingdom is here and now, today. There is no better place than where you are and what you are doing to declare and demonstrate it. As is well documented here, I grew up in the small town of Dumas, Arkansas, 71639, population 4,800 maybe today. I secretly felt we were somehow less than, say, Little Rock, which is probably why we were so proud. And as life wore on, critical of those snobby city folk. Nonetheless, when we went to Little Rock, I always held a secret awe of the place. I loved to ride around in the heights and to drive down the coveted street called Edge Hill with its expansive mansions. I had no idea who lived there, but I knew they were somebody important. Why? I thought their neighborhood or street or place conferred importance on them. If I'm honest, I am still influenced by this value system. I want to drive around behind the gates of the gated communities and dream my way into those dream homes. Because the value system of the world tells me there is more value there. Am I the only one here? It's not my point to say this is somehow wrong to do or wrong to live there. My point is to say Jesus did and does just the opposite. Jesus doesn't attach importance to place. He confers value on people irrespective of place. And to make his point, he's quite careful to go to the places the world would consider the least valuable and least important. To make his point, not only does he go to those places and those people as though he were running a charity, he is those people in those places. Jesus was born into a poor family. He grew up in a backwater town. He practically lived the life of a homeless peasant, i.e. nowhere to lay his head. He spent his time moving among the rich and the poor as though there were no fundamental difference between them. Jesus confers value on the up and out and the down and out, on the lepers, the sick, the infirm, the demon-possessed, the afflicted, the addicted, the imprisoned, and on we could go and must. This is profoundly revelatory about who God is and what God is like and how God works and, consequently, who we are and what we are like and how we must learn to work, because it's Jesus who is working within and through us. We see as he sees. We hear as he hears, we think as he thinks, we move as he moves, we go where he goes, we do what he does, because he does it all in and through us. 
this is what discipleship must become about, not just learning more and more things about God and the Bible and our religious traditions, but learning to behold and become and bear His very presence right where we are, doing exactly what we are doing today. In the end, when all is said and done, He tells us it will come down to this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew 25. Epiphany alert! Jesus didn't come to help the poor. He came to be the poor. The prayer, Our Father... I just want to sit with this for more than a minute to contemplate the vast revelation of Jesus. I feel as though I have so many things backward in my thinking. I want the mind of Christ Jesus, and you say it is mine. Come, Holy Spirit, and renovate my mind. Don't just change my thinking, but transcend and transform my imagination. Thank you that I don't have to figure this out. Just yield to Jesus, belong to him, and find him belonging to me. And then following him, not with him as some distant figure of history, but from the inside where he dwells in me and in us. Jesus, we belong to you. Praying in your name. Amen. The question. How is Jesus blowing your mind today? Are you being stretched? How so? Where do you want to push back and challenge? Do you, like me, like driving around and looking at houses nicer than yours? Why do we do that? What would it mean to drive around the poorer neighborhoods and look around in the same way? For our hymn today, we're going to be singing. Hymn number 160, I Love to Tell the Story. That's from our seedbed hymnal, our great Redeemer's praise. This is a greatest hit for sure. Comes from Catherine Hankey, 1866. That's Civil War era here in the United States. All right, let's get a deep breath. We're going to sing it like we mean it. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longing, 
as nothing else can do. I love to tell a story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Okay, let's sing the last verse today. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Amen. Sorry I cut out those middle two verses, but I'm behind today, and my team is nipping at the bud to get this recording. So let's call it a day, a morning. Actually, the day's just getting started. I want you to grab your seeds today and get ready to hit the field. It's today again, another day, so for Great Awakening. Hey, for The Awakening, I'm J.D. Walt. We hope that today's entry challenged and encouraged you. And thanks for listening to The Wake Up Call, powered by Seedbed. Be sure to share this with a friend, leave us a rating, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Find out more and join the movement by visiting our website at seedbed.com slash wakeupcall.